But we're dealing with pride, aren't we? We're dealing with humility. And God doesn't like pride. And we've got to get this area of our lives rooted out if we're going to be something for Christ. If we're going to develop our lives to be more like Christ, then there has to be some changes, some transitions. And as I've gone through this message, and by the way, as you know, I was off last week, and then the week before was Mother's Day. So this, this message has been three weeks a coming. <clears throat> I hope you packed a lunch today. We're going to be, no, I'm just kidding you. This is actually going to be a two-part we're going to be seeing this text today, and then we are going to see this text come alive. And those who know the book of Esther know there's an individual in that text that we're going to go back and forth between his life and see it come alive right from this particular psalm, chapter number 10. There, to, to bring this alive, some have thought that it was almost prophetic of the book of Nehemiah when Sabalad and Tobiah were trying to undermine Israel in the building. And absolutely, you can apply it to that. Those guys were so proud and arrogant, trying to deter the Israelites from building. But I see it coming a little more alive even in the book of Esther. So we'll hit that next week. So here what we're seeing is God defining pride. If there is arrogance and pride in our life, God through this text is going to explain to you and I what does it really look like. There are, in this text, let's start breaking it down a little bit. In this chapter, there are several prayers. In verse number one, the prayer is, Lord, why Standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? In verse number 12, he says, Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up thine hand. And this, notice this prayer. Forget not the humble. And then later on, verse 17, he says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. And thou wilt prepare their heart, thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. In this text, the psalmist is describing to you and I what a proud person is about. And to summarize it, a proud person is like a lion that is lurking about trying to find somebody that is weak, that he can attack, misuse, and devour. Then, on the other side, God says that there are those who are humbled, we could even use the word full of meekness, that are being attacked, and the result is it drives those who are the poor, humble, and it drives us to our knees to say, Lord, how long? Why is this happening? Uh, you and I have all been around people that are full of themselves absolutely arrogant. No one is right but them. The only way of doing it is their way. 
There is no listening to others. They have an agenda. As you saw here, they have a plan. They're not winging it. And their plan is to exalt self as high as they possibly can in this life. And God is not in the equation. It is all about me, what I want in my life. And if I have to hurt somebody else to go up this ladder, I will gladly do it. Matter of fact, the people I bless, he says in this text, are people that covet. I will look at a covetous person and say, Lord bless you, man. This is great, isn't it? Isn't it so awesome to take from people that don't have so that we can have more? Now, I'm not talking about politicians today either. <clears throat> I'm not talking about the idiot that's been exposed the last few months that, that got all this money, millions of dollars, from charity. Incredible. Selfishness. And how is there? In this text, in this prayer, the first prayer is, Lord, it seems like you are way over there, and here we are surrounded by the proud, and it seems like the proud, selfish people that are hurting innocent, nice people are winning. God, why are you getting them? Why aren't you doing something like right now instead of waiting? Why is it seem like when we pray, Lord, provide, it's like those who are, we're working with that are corrupt and cheating and working the numbers for their own. It's like they're prospering and, and we're doing the right thing and paying our taxes and tithing and doing all the right thing and we're not going forward. There is an answer, by the way. My answer is our God is a long-suffering God. God wants these who are lost, full of pride, to be broken. Aren't you glad that God didn't go to you the first time you showed pride, arrogancy, and did something you weren't supposed to? Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering to you? And that is the characteristic of our God. Now, sadly, we got to wait through all of this. We have to wait to see, are they going to finally acknowledge that there is actually a God out there and that I'm accountable to this God? And while we are being hurt by them, and we, by the way, in this text, are the poor, and we'll describe them in a little bit, that they are attacking us, and all of a sudden we're like, Lord, come on over and help us through all of this. And God says, uh, by the way, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I am there. And just because I don't jump when you want me to jump doesn't make me less of, our, of a God. He is real. He is there. But what we have to understand, folks, that we can even be lifted up with pride when we are going through suffering, think it's all about me. It's not about you. It's about what God is trying to do in our lives through the difficult times that we have to go through to be a witness to those who are lost. So we say, Lord, we would like it now. We want patience now. We want, we want it taken care of now in our timing. But God's like, just hang in there. Remember the psalmist, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. 
and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with asking God why. Psalm 22, repeated by Jesus Christ on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Nothing wrong with that. But remember, it is not a pride, arrogant, boy, I don't understand this God. No, 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 no. Uh, he's still the potter. We're still the clay. We're going to talk about that later on this year. And guess what? God is trying to do something in our lives, and it's to develop us more like Christ. And the only way we're going to be more like Christ is to go through a fellowship of his suffering, Philippians 3.10. That's how we get to know him and understand and associate with Christ because he went through it. And the only way we're going to go through that is just like here, have that poor type of spirit that God will allow that humility to one day be exalted. So these prayers are there. And even later on, Lord, don't forget the humble. By the way, can I assure you that God will not, never forget humility? Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So while you are going through this, God then comes to you and enables you by his grace to get through that he will then exalt you in due time or due season. And then the latter part that last prayer. Lord, hear the very specific desire in verse 17 of the humble. Notice, because thou will prepare their heart. There is a heart of the, of the humble that God is working inside of them. Now follow me on this point. Preparing you by prayer. Preparing your heart to get through these sufferings so that you go through them well. Thou will cause your ear, Lord, to hear. Now notice what he's going to do. Verse 18. He will judge. He, th this is now God's description of who are the humble poor in this text. The fatherless, the orphan, and the oppressed that the man, the earth, may no more oppress. Now there's some things we'll see at the, at the last part of that. So now we have in our mind, this is what's going on. So now we're going to see the description of pride. And, and, and if you see the news at all, you're going to see pride peek up its ugly head every time corruption takes place. So wicked, the wicked, verse number 2, in his pride doth persecute the poor. Now, we've already described who the poor are. We're dealing with the fathers, those who are oppressed. So the poor are down here. The proud are up here saying, ha, 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 I get to get you. Okay? Is that a good imitation of an evil laugh? I hope so. You follow me? Okay? Let's see if you're awake. So he, he's saying, okay, the wicked in his pride, this is what is the motivation persecutes the poor, he says, let them be taken in the vices that they have imagined. Remember the book of Esther? You kind of see where we're going to with that, okay? So you can kind of fast forward where we're heading to to, to show you all of these things, the, the arrogance. And it's like, Lord, now they're, they're trying to kill me and hurt me. Would you take that scheme that they're trying to do against me and put it back on our own head? Let them see what it really feels like. Boy, it's easy to oppress people, but boy, is it hard to be the 
oppressed. <clears throat> there are many a scheme out there of people that are targeting others to try to take those who may be weak of mind, not understanding the situation, and to take more than they ought to for their own benefit. How many have seen, I finally watched the, the movie Flywheel. Anybody seen Flywheel? Okay, you seen Flywheel, pretty cool movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a good Christian video. And uh, so this guy who was a car dealer just absolutely soaks it to everybody that comes in. Buku bucks on everybody, even his pastor. Ooh. So it got kind of neat in the story. And uh, so sure enough, God uses his child, uses other circumstances to finally break him of his pride. Folks, he, what he's trying to show in that video is those who oppress others, they know exactly what they're doing. There is a scheme. Now, Christians... We have to evaluate our lives, don't we? How are we scheming things in our lives, in our business, in ministry? Is it that we are lifted up with pride to the point that we man would manipulate other people so that we turn out well? That we ourselves would benefit? That is pride. God pours pride. He resists that pride. And yeah, you know what? Seemingly, people that do this for a temporary time sometimes win. But we're showing you long-term, folks. Not the immediate. See, the world lives for the moment. Pride lives for what I can get now not planning for the future. So he says, the wicked, now notice this in verse 3, boasteth in his heart. Okay, so boasteth of his heart's desire. The word heart is mentioned here. The word heart is also in verse number 6. He has said in his heart. Verse number 11, he has said in his heart. Verse number 13, wherefore does the wicked condemn, contemn God? And he has said in his heart. So all of a sudden, this guy that's going through life is, is like talking to himself. You ever, you, ever, you ever do that? Anybody besides me? Okay, please let me know I'm not crazy here. You ever kind of just talking to yourself and you answer to? I do. You know, I go back and forth. I debate things, you know. And so this guy is sitting in his heart, and he's got this whole thing planned out. And he's thinking in his heart, I have a desire. I have a plan that is going to lift me up, and I get to destroy other people. And you know what? I win because I'm smarter than them. The greatest example of this, what we are talking about, is not Haman. It is Satan himself, the one who was lifted up with pride, who said, I will be like the most high God. People will fall down, people will worship me, and they do to this very day. And because of that lifted up with pride, it for a moment, for a season, is giving him what seems to be the majority. 
Because the majority do not worship Jesus. And you either worship him or you don't. And there's nothing in between. And so sure enough, Satan is devising this in his mind, in his own heart, a desire. And what he says is, I am going to bless those who are greedy or the covetous. By the way, if you see other places in the New Testament, you'll see coveting, which is idolatry. You say, how can coveting be idolatry? Really simple. So all of a sudden, I take something over here, and I say, you know what? This is what my life is all going to be about. And I'm going to put it on the very top shelf. And that thing that I am putting up here, I'm actually placing above God. That's an idol. It could be a figure. It could be something made. It could be self. It could be a job. It could be money. It could be anything that out there that that is what's consuming your mind and my mind. And we place that up on the pedestal and our mind stops thinking about God. God goes down here. And we put it up here. And no matter what it is that we are having that strong desire for, God says that's coveting. And Satan says, I love it. I absolutely love it. The proud think this is what it's all about. Things. Me. My job. Anything that we will place here before God that is coveting. And Satan wants us to covet. Pride wants us to have things that we would strongly desire and would place there before God. And that's why coveting becomes idolatry because we put it before God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You want to talk about a message that America needs to hear. It is coveting. I love it in D1. We have a whole book. If I were to rename it, it would be How to Keep Yourself from Being Greedy. Don't love money. Don't seek to be rich. Because I talk to rich people all the time and they're no happier than you are. They still got physical problems, emotional problems. They still got all the same things that you and I go through. Problems. Money doesn't fix it. I agree, money helps. <laughs> okay, I understand. I'm not, I'm not stupid either. Okay, it's nice when the bills are paid. Yeah, I understand that. But still, if it's here, if it's gone, we are the same. So we don't have things. And so pride gets this mindset of grieve, greed, and then God says, and I hate greed. Pride produces greed. Can you say that with me? Pride produces greed. So if we're greedy, guess who we're thinking about? Moi, me, right? Now, we go on. His ways... Excuse me, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride, there's a second time the word is mentioned, in his countenance, outward appearance, everything that is seen. Now, this is what the pride does in a, the mindset of the wicked. He says, he, that individual, not seek after God, and that God is not in all of his thoughts. So, humility would always have God in his thoughts, what does this then do with my relationship with the Lord? Pride, on the other hand, says, I don't worry about God. What do I look like? What's in it for me? I don't care about what happens to the church or God's people. That's not what's important. It's about me. 
And humility is over here saying, God, I want your mind. I want to be thinking the way you think. And all of a sudden, if you evaluate, folks, and I have done this, if you evaluate both parties, guess who's happy? And guess who is never fulfilled? Greed, pride, no word in the mind or no God in the mind is never fulfilled. It is always looking for some type of a new thing to fulfill that emotion. Where humility brings contentment, happiness, joy, peace. It goes on and says that his ways are always grievous, verse 5. And thy judgments, that is, God's judgments are far above out of his sight. In other words, when it comes to the Bible, don't want it. Literally, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear any of it. Seriously. Remember when Stephen was done preaching in Acts? Literally, they did is they stopped their ears ran after him, gnashing their teeth at him. It's like, oh, I don't want to hear this Bible. And they got so mad, they drug him out and killed him. There's an illustration, too. By the way, the religious lost are the proudest you'll ever come across. He goes on and tells us a little more that not only do they despise the word, but as for all his enemies... He puffs himself up at them, meaning, I'm bigger than you. You know, those fish, make themselves bigger than they actually are, you know? That's what these guys are doing. It's like, you can't come after me. Look how great I am. Matter of fact, it goes even more, because he said in his heart, verse 6, I shall not be moved. Isn't it interesting? We sing that song, I shall not be moved. But our, our steadfastness is in Christ not in self. The proud are saying, you can't touch me. No one can touch me. And in a moment, you're going to say, God doesn't even touch me. I'm above it all. I shall never be in adversity. You won't look at a day of my life that I'm not in control. Got her all in control. Got all my things lined up, and I got all these people I can take from, I got this money over here, and I got this situation over here, everything's in hand, got my whole life all figured out, don't need God, don't need anybody, got her all in control. Folks, I am describing to you a person that knows about God, knows about the Bible, knows about Jesus Christ, and has said, don't want it. I got my whole life figured out, and God is not in the equation. I will eat. I will drink. I will be merry. I will go through my life the way I want, and that is pride. And what's sad, folks, is that there are many Christians that have the exact same mindset that I will choose when I want to go to church. I will choose to do things for God when it's convenient for me because I want to do it, run my life, my way. How's it going? Folks, I, to, to this day, folks, the most miserable person that there is on this earth is not the lost. It is a Christian out of the will of God living in his own pride, in his own way, and he's miserable every day of his life. 
and the amens, and that's right, because we've been there. I have been there. And guess what God says? Doesn't work, does it? But for us to stop and to yield ourselves and say, Lord, you are number one, and I am down here, the humility, and just taking up our cross daily and following him, dying to self, I die daily, all those verses, all of a sudden, it's like God's on the throne, and we dethrone ourselves, we're down here, and God's in control, that's humility. That's when we stop and say, God, you're in my mind, you're in my thoughts, I want what your will is for my life, all of a sudden, God's using you, and you're flying high, man. He goes on. Verse 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit. The word curse is a, con- a, a phrase of condemnation. Okay? I want something bad to happen to somebody else. It's a curse. He is deceiving people. What is coming out of his mouth is all about what he wants, and he is trying to be fraudulent, so he is taking from other people. And then under his tongue, it is full of mischief, vanity, emptiness, And now we see his plan. Verse 8. He is sitting in lurking places of villages. So he's there where the people are. And in secret places does he murder the innocent. By the way, if you follow this and see see Satan, you will see how Satan, and we're going to see as a lion, lurking over here, waiting for the opportune time to take out the innocent, the Lord Jesus Christ, by using Sure enough, Judas Iscariot. All of this was a timing, a plan that Satan had to bruise the very heel of the promised Messiah. His eyes are privily set, notice this, against the poor or the innocent. He lies in wait secretly. Now notice this, as. Here's your typology now. As a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He does catch the poor. He draweth him into his net. He croucheth. Just like a lion. Did you ever notice that on Discovery Channel? You know, they go down and they start creeping up real slow and low. It's almost like a false humility that they crouch down, and he uses the word humble here, but realistically he is full of pride, ready to destroy. So he gets down real low, He lies in wait, and he crouches and humbleth himself, verse 10, that the poor may fall by his strong ones or his his attack modes. That's what he is fortified to destroy the weak. Christians, there is something that I remember as a kid that I went through, and I had to learn the hard way. Did you ever notice, you know, teens, you know, kids, you're, you're going to see this all the time. You, know, you get in a classroom, and all of a sudden in this classroom, you got the kids that are, you know, into sports, or the jocks, they're, they're up there. You got the girls over here, they're, they think they're pretty. And, you know, they got all this stuff going on in their brains. And, by the way, of those who don't have much hair or gray hair, we forget those days, because we did the same thing. And so we, we, we see this whole thing. And then sitting over here in a corner are the kids that are considered the outcasts. You just don't hang with them because they're not in. They're not cool. They're down and out. They're not as pretty as me or they're not a jock like me. 
that they can't do. Yeah, they might get straight A's in math, but I don't care. I can beat them up. So I'm better than you are. So these guys were over here, and isn't it interesting how these over here are attacked by those? Now, some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. It is as though they are targeting somebody socially less acceptable than they are. By the way, Christians, we ought not to be involved with that. We are to embrace all equally. Well, that goes against our nature. You mean you, you think I ought to sit beside that person over there? Yeah. Why would you not? Are they not your brother in Christ? Are they not the same as you? And all of a sudden, you see, Christians, we can be full of this pride and, and in our Christian way begin to belittle and say negative things about somebody over here because of they don't have the talent I do. They don't have the means that I do. Do you see what they drove the church? Do you see what they wore to church? All of a sudden, we're lifted up with pride, attacking people that have come into this church to worship, and we begin to curse them with our own mouths. Sad on us. Shame on us. It's sad that we have this mindset. He says in James, with the very same mouth, we bless God and we curse man. He's talking to believers. And he says, this ought not to be. So the next time we begin to criticize, ridicule, and belittle somebody because they may have something or not have something that, that is different than us, then all of a sudden we begin to attack that. God says, you are lifted up with? It's in the heart. Going on, verse 11 I, I, by the way, this is a little different kind of a Sunday morning message. Okay, those who are visiting with us today, we're not always like this. Sometimes it's worse. <laughs> he, he has also said in verse 11 in his heart, God has forgotten. What a stupid statement that is. This is what a fool will do. It's almost like Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said it in his heart that there is no God. It's like, there's nobody out there that's going to judge me. God doesn't remember these kind of things. God is this little star, you think, or a moon, or a sun, or a piece of wood, or a stone over here. There's no way this God's ever going to remember this. I can do whatever I want, and I can get away with it. That's what the fool has said, and that's what the pride has said. And he hides his face. God, God just hides his face. He's not looking at these type of things. He'll never even see it. It's like God has eyes. I don't think God has eyes. God can't see everything. And yet we see all through the scriptures the omniscience of our God, knowing exactly what is done from Genesis chapter 3, the fall, Satan's fall, through the revelation, over and over again. So the prayer again we saw in verse number 12 about, please, Lord, don't forget us. And he goes on, Lord, verse 14, thou hast seen it. Christians, remember that. There are times it seems like, Lord, you're over here. And it doesn't seem like they care or acknowledge that there's even a God at all. But Lord, when they say God hasn't seen it, I know better. And God has seen it. And God re will require it. But I want you to remember this, Christians. When we as the poor, the oppressed, go through this, I believe in, with my whole heart that there is a special reward when we go through the oppression well. Remember, we've got to go through it well. Not just that we go through it, 
but that as we go through it, we are a light in darkness. We are a testimony to them through it all, and that is how God works in their hearts. So, Lord, you have seen it. Thou beholdest mischief, spite, all these things, Lord, you, you've seen it. Uh, go back up to verse 13. He says, Wherefore doth the wicked despise or contemn God? He said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. You see, through the persecution that we go through, it exposes, number one, the heart of the pride inside of the wicked. They are even proud by thinking they have won. And no one can change their cause because their victory, they believe, is absolutely sure. And their victory is over the weak. They're like a lion. You say, why, why does this happen? And right now, if, if certain people would have their way, they would, they would destroy all of Israel. They would destroy every descendant that would claim to be Jews. Any Christian that would also be linked now up with them because of believing the Bible, they would love to massacre us. If they could, just as we've learned this past week, they would have a car bomb waiting to blow us all up. What did you do to them? What did you personally do to them? And yet they think, man, are we good? Because these idiots didn't see it coming. And we get to blow them up and we get our pep rally saying, aren't we great? And through pride, pride destroys. They fall into the same condemnation of Satan. Did you ever ask yourself a question? What did, what did Adam and Eve do against Satan? Why did he want to kill them? What did they do? Were they not innocent? We even call it the dispensation of innocence. And yet he wanted to destroy. What did Jesus do? That the Jews would turn and cry, murder this guy. What did he do? Healed them fed them, loved them, raised the dead. He gave them hope. And yet the innocent are destroyed by the proud. Folks, are you seeing why God wants you and I to search our hearts to see if we have pride lifted up inside of us that we would be able to, would, would go after someone else for self. Lord, you've seen it. You've seen it all. You've seen how they have treated the poor. You've seen it all. And what I have seen is that I commit my life as the poor one in verse 14. And thou art a helper of the fatherless. Lord, you've got to break the arm of the wicked and even the evil man. Seek out his weakness till you find it. Excuse me, until you find none. Now here's verse 16. We got, we got to wind things down. This, this is like the good part. The Lord is king forever and ever. Pop, 
Where'd that come from? You know what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, we're going through this psalm, and it's like, Lord, take care of them. You know, all these things, you know, with pride are over here. Man, this is what we're dealing with. It's all around. It's inside of me. And all of a sudden, he says, don't forget, the Lord is king forever and ever. If you see the psalms and through the Old Testament, as well as to the Revelation, you will know that there is one who is the king forever and ever. This, again, is a messianic psalm showing the eternal king, Jesus Christ, and how he will one day come and break the pride of what Satan was doing to destroy the Jewish people, and he will rise himself up to be the king. You can get the tape and re-listen to that. Some of you didn't get it, okay? Because this is like what the Bible is all about. It's all about Christ. And it's about him being the one who is going to have dominion over. That's why Colossians says he is head over all things to the church. He is also head over all creation. And by the way, tonight we're going to start a new series, commercial. We're going to start the book of Hebrews tonight. And you say... How boring is that? Oh, I don't think you'll find it too boring because it is all about Christ being better. And we're going to get some doctrine. We're going to see some pretty good things. And as he and as it tells us in chapter number five, we're going to be dealing with, uh, if you will, meat and potatoes. Okay, we're going to be dealing with the meat of the word. And we're going to see Christ throughout the word. And so sure enough, we see Christ and his prophecy about the millennial king and for eternity, that the Lord, he is one king forever and ever. That's all of eternity. The heathen are perished out of, notice this, the land. So when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, there is a division between the goats and the sheep. The sheep stay, goats, they're out of here. And God establishes the millennial kingdom himself as he comes back literally to this earth and also future the new earth. Lord, here's the prayer, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Remember the millennial teachings that he has in the book of, of Matthew, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit because they are going to inherit the earth. Thou wilt prepare thine heart or their heart and thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. So here is the prayer of the humble. That Lord, you, you know, there, there's this answer uh, of the prayers, verse 1 and 12. And here, Lord, you've, you've heard our desires. And you have prepared the very heart in the midst of prayer. And you have created a confidence. And you have, through prayer, taken away doubt. Thou wilt cause your ear to hear. Be anxious or careful for nothing but by prayer, supplications, giving of thanks. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace which passeth all understanding shall keep the very hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So all of a sudden we see that this Prayer and commitment prepares the very heart of the Christian in order to get through the hardships and the persecutions and the oppression and we're poor and they're rich. It's okay because at the end, we win. 
We can't lose. The Christian looked at the pride of others and say, it seems like they're winning, but you almost start to pity them and say, you poor thing. You're going to be swallowed up. If you don't get God, if you don't believe in him, you're in big trouble, mister. You might seemingly have the biggest car now, but if that's what your whole life is about, you missed it. If your pride and your idolatry and those things that you want are in front of God and you choose them versus God, you think, well, Christians aren't allowed to have it. They do this. You don't even understand Christianity. All of a sudden, you stop and you say, you know what? If I took me off and I put God up there, that's by faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, everything changes. The last verse. He does hear our cause. Verse 18. And here's what he does. He judges the fatherless, the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. There will be a day this is all going to turn around. The oppressor will be the oppressed by God. And those who are innocent, the fa- you want to talk about innocence, you want to talk about an orphan. No way of protecting, providing, taking care of themselves. Those who are, just like in Nehemiah, oppressed by the royal ones, the noble ones, put taxation and, and just making buku money. Remember what they did? They took their, their money. They took their land. They took their children and put them into slavery in Christian love. These were Jews doing it to each other, oppressing them. Boy, when Nehemiah found out about that, it says, and Nehemiah finding out this, he was wroth. You know, he was angry. I mean, he landed into these guys. You don't do that to the poor. You take care of them. That's the Christian thing to do. That's what God does. Folks, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Now listen to the rest of it. We read it a couple weeks ago. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he, God, will exalt you in due season or time. When we are humbled to serve Christ, there will be a day when we are going to rule and reign with him as king eternal. Don't miss it. If you're not saved... It is because of pride. You will not allow yourself to humble yourself under God and his word and his authority. Break it. Humble yourself. Come under him and say, Lord, I'm willing. I want to believe. And he will save you. There is none that cannot be saved. We're going to see later on in Hebrews. The only thing that keeps a person uh, from getting into heaven is unbelief. If you don't believe, you don't go God's way, you're out of the picture, man. But if you believe, he will save you. He wants to save you. We as Christians here want you to get saved and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be. Lord, we've shared your word. We've, we've shared a very intense portion of Scripture to expose, as you have in your word, the subject that we're talking about, and it is pride versus humility. Lord, Each one of us in this room now, we evaluate our lives and we search it out. And I do pray, Father, that you will help us to see and look 
for pride. Forgive us, Lord. We know it's there. Lord, there may be some here that will even through pride walk out of this place and say in their mind and in their heart, I do not need God. I do not want His Word. I do not want anybody over me. I want to be in control of my own destiny in my own life. Lord, please work in their heart. Break the pride. May they submit to you to be saved. Lord, there are many of us as Christians that through pride, we want to run our own lives. We do not want to be under the authority of your word. Forgive us. Break us. That we will be more like Christ. Lord, you tell us in Philippians 2 that Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the very cross. Lord, teach us to die to self. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail you. And may this church be a church that is not seen as an arrogant, proud people, but, but to be like Christ that is full of equality and love, genuine love for each other. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do. This is your invitation. Bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.